I was too busy trying to break someone's leg. That's so British of you. Oh, English, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I did cleek someone in the knee, though. What kind of league are you playing on on a Wednesday night? Considering it's at a Christian academy, it should probably be a little more friendly than it is. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. This one, I'm confident, is number 18. Hi, I'm Peter, and uh, joining us today is the typical trio alongside, well, actually duo alongside me. I always get those numbers mixed up. And all the way from now championship-level Luton Town, Dan Crook. Congratulations, Dan. Up the Luton Town. Thank you. I uh, I personally had a, a great deal to do with that achievement. Is this is this your highest sporting fan moment ever? That your club team from your hometown in England has made it all the way to the championship. Well, considering we were in what's now the Premier League for something like thirty years, no. It wasn't the same thing back then, was it, Dan? It was better because Sky hadn't ruined English football. and there's the jolly laugh of our leader founder and co-editor of thirddegree.net and from the dallas morning news buzz carrick come in buzz hey fellas today i'm calling in from the doctor's office where we're doing electrical stimulation on paxton pomichol's hamstring to get him ready for the u20 world cup i have a feeling that they have uh, a sequence of those all like on uh electrical strips Around the clock. Around the clock. Well, not just on packs, but on a series of players uh, all yeah. the way down the line into the academy. They probably had to go to Amazon and buy those those, uh, those <laughs> things in bulk, right? The, to, to get enough of them, yeah, to get everybody all the way down through the 17s all lined up. Yes, uh, we will talk about Paxton here in just a few minutes, but we will also note that this is the type of podcast that is neither a victory podcast or a loss podcast oh my gosh that draw on saturday against san jose made kissing your sister seem like a reasonable idea what a terrible soccer game that was fc dallas zero san jose zero um i don't know if uh, dallas has looked worse all season have they buzz that was not a particularly pleasant game to watch uh the San Jose man marking defense completely short circuited the Lucci ball and the uh, Dallas offense. And they just looked other than Paxton Pomichol doing some nice things with Reggie for the first, you know, 25, 30 minutes until he hurt himself. Other than that, uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on and a lot of, not, not a lot of activity, not a lot of um, exciting play, not a lot of uh, the, the, the fun um, possession game that we've been come to know and enjoy under Lucci a lot of all that was missing and it was definitely a, a bummer of a bra- of a game to be watching Dan uh coming from another land that you do when was the last time you saw a team a professional soccer team play a full-on man marking style system like that uh a, did you say a professional team yes a professional team <laughs> oh. uh I mean the national league's professional and that's really what they do yeah, uh, they do it a lot. You know, there. the further the further down the leagues you go, the less time you have on the ball, the more it's more of a man marking system than the zonal. Um, you know, f- f- football can be cyclical. Um, so in some ways, it's keeping ahead of it, ahead of the curve. 
while keeping behind it. Um, if it's working for them, great. Uh, I would say that they're not they're not particularly pleasing or good to watch. Uh, but yeah. it's San Jose; they're kind of a terrible team. Well, you know, I, I'd make first off, we pronounce it cyclical here in the United States, and and other than that, I I didn't think that San Jose looked all that terrible. I frankly, I thought they pulled it off with uh, quite a uh, uh, quite well, um, and were pretty decent in transition coming out of that man marking situation. But it was very obvious that despite having all week and videotape to watch it. Uh, Lucci was not successful in parsing out some sort of, uh, you know, tactic to combat it. Well, they didn't put the ball between that aluminium rectangle. <laughs> so eat that pronunciation. <laughs> aluminium. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous pronunciation of a word there ever has been. Well, we spell it differently. Oh, do you? Yeah, we have an extra eye on it. You don't, for some reason. Aluminium? Mm-hmm. Okay. Aluminium. Aluminum. Yeah, ours just does... I guess when you put them side by side, ours sounds a little dumber. My favorite is when people say, what do you call aluminum foil? I'm like, tin foil. Yeah, got that <laughs> yeah, in. <laughs> That's great. Okay, sorry. Uh, I got back, us to off. Uh, back to soccer. Back to football. Uh, so, Buzz... Uh, do you do you think that San Jose was just really good at man marking, or Lucci just wasn't very good at coming up with a tactic against it, or he was and the players just didn't pull it off, or a combination of all three? Well, they they worked on it a bit during the week. Um, you know, Dallas remains a young team, especially in the attacking phase. You know, there's a lot of kids up there, so I think they definitely struggled to come to grips with it. Um, San Jose is pretty good at it. They're definitely a fighting. Uh, to nail battling team, you got to give them that kind of credit. The biggest takeaway, really, the biggest concern was wasn't even just in the final third. It was the way uh, San Jose used two markers out of midfield to come overlap when Dallas even started to build, and the Dallas could never get its um, possession from the back going. And if if other teams watch that tape and pick up that strategy, then Lucci's got to go back to square one to how to get his offense going because. You know, when those two guys went out and covered the wings, that, that opened the midfield, and yet Dallas wasn't able to play into the midfield uh, with, you know, whether it's a combination of too many defensive-minded players in the midfield. I don't, I don't know whether it's just because um, Cerillo is such a young guy and there's they're bracketing him with a striker and a, and a marker behind him. So um, there's now a book on how to defuse Lucci Ball, and that was the biggest contributor to Dallas not being able to get their flow going, their their offensive mojo going, if you will, their play up through the middle like they like to do, and they had to resort to long balls. And this team doesn't hasn't done that all year, so they don't they didn't know what to do um, other than trying to play Barros over the top. It just wasn't working, and uh, you got to give San Jose credit for just completely defusing every idea Dallas had. Yeah, it really uh, funneled Dallas into one thing, one option, which was to, as you say, play the ball to Cerillo, who. Just if if I had one negative thing to point out about the kid who I love and hope he makes the uh, World Cup squad, he he's just not super fast in transition when he does get the ball deep in their own end. And there were so yeah. many times he'd get the ball and it just took he was like it was like watching a battleship turn. Um, and even when he did face forward, he almost invariably just ended up playing it laterally. It's just not his game, is it? 
No, but he's he's such a young player. You know, you can't expect him to be uh, incredibly savvy about pro level midfield rotations. You know, he is only 18. He has only been a pro for three months now. So we have to give him a little bit of slack I, right now. At 18, he he's just as good in my book as Victor Eloa was at 27. So, you know, there's a lot of room to grow there. But his game is is a simple game. He doesn't play super complicated. He does like to make quick lateral passes, and he will make those passes going forward if he can have time to turn. And it's just it's not there yet. So we we shouldn't we, that shouldn't come across as too harsh of a statement that you and I are making about him, and that I'm sure Dan would agree with us. Uh, it's just that he's a young kid and he's not used to this yet. And if they're bracketing him with players, you can't expect him to carry the entire load of a transition through the midfield. You know, it's just, it, it wasn't taken care of as a collective well enough. It's not all on Surreal. He's just one facet of it. Dan, it was, it was interesting that Lucci did appear to have figured out a formation and, and placement of players that did get his best 11 on the field uh, and highlighted by putting Paxton as a left wing. I feel maybe Buzz may be the expert for that as the one who suggested it. Yeah, it is my fault. Damn it, Buzz. You injured Paxton Palmer, Carl. No, come on. But we did talk about that exact same thing happening in this podcast about the idea of putting Paxton at left wing. On paper, I think it was a terrific idea. And well, just, in a lot of ways, it was working. You know, Paxton was really effective until he hurt himself. So, um, you know, it's not... Uh, in the long run, it, it leaves them too one-dimensional in midfield because you end up with three players that are a little bit more defensive-minded. I really think Paxson needs to be back there with Acosta, you know, to make it the whole thing work. But they're so desperate to get a left wing that's effective right now. That's they're probably trying almost anything. Are, are we somewhat surprised that Brian Acosta isn't more offensive-minded? It, it get the ball and go at people. I, I I don't know why. In my mind, my thought is is that he'd be more like that. If there's one real surprise early in the season for me is that he. He isn't that go forward kind of guy that we that the team really could use right now alongside Paxton. I think he can be that guy if he's not the only guy. If you're if you're looking for him to be a ten, then that's that may be a little bit of a, a long a tall ask. But if there is someone who is that ten, or as Lucci called it a no, Lucci didn't call that calls it an eight, and we call it a free eight just to sort of indicate that Paxton was trying to be a little more aggressive. Then, then, then Acosta is freed up a little bit more. Then he can make some of those uh, better passes that he's capable of making. But if, if you're asking him to be a playmaker, that's definitely not in his game. I mean, he is for sure not a transition. Uh, he's a transitional player, not a playmaker. There's a big difference between those two things. All right, Dan, I don't know if you were as uh, frustrated as I was at the end of the game. You know, it was the first sun- sunshiny day. It was in the you know low to mid 80s, and it was pretty clear to anybody uh, who who uh, doesn't have their Dallas-colored glasses on, that there was one team con- clearly more affected by the heat than the other, and unfortunately it was the home team. In fact, I got really agitated by watching both Jesse, Matt Hedges, and together tell the rest of the team, uh, starting about five, seven minutes before, uh, about the 93rd minute, excuse me, the 83rd minute, and then for the entirety of injury time, Every time San Jose would make an attack and the ball would go out for a goal kick, they'd all look at each other and go, slow down, take your time, don't be in a hurry. And I'm thinking, it's 0-0 at home, guys. <laughs> Why are we slowing down and trying not to get the ball back in play? And I, I'm just wondering, uh, it, one, did that bother you when you saw it? And two, is it not a problem that Dallas was the more tired, worn-out team in the- on Saturday? Yeah, it's concerning. Uh, you know, we always think of... 
the uh, the North Texas climate as an advantage. Um, it, it just struck me that San Jose were were clearly a team that that were far better conditioned. Uh, we've we've speculated since Lucci first got the job, and, and that we knew his style. That you know, all the press in the playing higher up, and still trying to play on the break was was going to wear down players. Uh, and you know, it's, it's it's worrying to see it. You know, before May. Uh, but sorry, I just got visited by a cat. Um, if you're going to cut it in. It's, it's worrying to see it before May, but you know here we are, and uh, it. Uh, um, yeah, Lucci didn't really. When I spoke to him in um, in the week, I didn't even uh, I didn't even specifically ask him about uh, that. We have a show cat now, apparently. Wait one second. <laughs> uh, along those lines, Peter, one thing I found interesting was that I was watching today the, the the behind the scenes thing that FC Dallas is doing, the Lucci Year One feature, the one they put out this week, uh, included sort of mic'd up Lucci on the sideline against San Jose, and there's a, there's a clip in there with him directing his team to slow it down and saying, "We need this point at home. Slow it down. Take your time." So I mean, that direction to kill the game came from the bench, came from oh. Lucci, which I was. I was a little surprised to see that, honestly, because I felt like you did watching. I was like, no, what are we doing? But, uh, you know, yelling as a fan from the stands in that moment. <clears throat> but, Unfortunately, um, they were the far more likely team to score. Yeah. Um, Dallas just weren't great. And it was. Yeah. Well, I looked at the when I was looking at the stats after the game, uh, San Jose had like 24 crosses, but 20 of them came in the second half. And 14 of those came in the last 10 minutes. They were just, they overloaded with an extra forward, an extra midfielder, and they were just firing the balls into the box like crazy. So the, the Dallas was definitely on their heels. They were definitely feeling the heat. They were definitely lagging. San Jose was definitely the team that was likely to score there at the end. So when you factor all that in, and, and hindsight, I get it. I get why they wanted to slow it down and get the point. But on, in the moment, it kills you seeing the home team being tired and having to play for a tie. That's that's a bummer to see that. And I, I too wonder why in the world this early in the season we're seeing players flagging from heat, you know, and, and it, maybe it's all related to uh, some sort of burnout that's happening and maybe that's what's causing all the hamstrings. It may be overwork, you know, they may be not taking enough time off during the week this early. It's hard for me to know without being there every single day, but um, they're definitely physical issues with this team, for sure. Yeah, I think d- one thing you can look at is um, when uh, Fabian Bazan was strength and conditioning coach, he would pull players out or set certain a certain number of reps, and wingers would would be pulled out at a certain stage. Center mids pulled out at a certain stage. Defenders were given a little bit longer, particularly center backs. Um, but there was a there was a very clear plan uh, to not overwork the body or particular muscles um i haven't granted i haven't been to as many practices as you have i haven't seen anyone just be pulled out unless they were suddenly pulled up injured yeah i haven't seen that yet this year either uh you know it, it, he's not the only missing guy having gone to tijuana felipe moreno has also not been able to get back um, who's another promising young strength and conditioning type, fitness type guy that a lot of the younger guys, especially academy guys, have raved about how he's helped them and progressed them. So, you know, it's a two-pronged 
people Wait a second, missing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. One, you're talking about a person I've never heard of before. And two, are you telling me that he can't get back into the country? Yeah. He's down in, I think he's down in Colombia, and he can't get his P1 visa. And who is he's he? He's been stuck there. Felipe Marino. Uh, let me look up what his title is. Is he a new guy, or was he somebody no. from the Oscar? No, days? no. He was somebody from the Oscar uh, arena. He, um, he's been stuck there the entire preseason. Uh, assistant athletic performance coach is his title. Wow. So he, he's been stuck there. Uh, I believe it's Columbia, but don't quote me on that. Uh, and unable to get his P1 visa for given the political current climate in this country, you can understand where that's coming from and why he can't get back in. I know nothing about him personally. I just know that he was a member of the staff last year. And I know several young people have told me young players, both Academy and young pros have told me how good he is and how effective he is. Now, just missing these two guys should not be the end of the world. There are plenty of competent people still around, but I know for sure that they've been using one of the Academy strength and conditioning coaches to help with the first team uh, strength and conditioning because they're shorthanded because this guy Felipe has not been able to get back into the country. Yeah. I I would say that I I don't want to dwell on this too much uh, and, and over dramatize it, but I do think it's pretty easy to connect that there may be a larger issue looming for this team when you are this early into the season and you are playing this, you know, in theory, you're playing this high pressing style. Although I don't know the last time I saw them play it for more than 10 minutes in a game early in the game. Um, you have all these hamstring injuries, um, and in, in this last game, a team that had, sent, that had played four days prior essentially started the same group of people, uh, older players, uh, were out hustling you in the 80th minute of the game, and it does make you wonder if a lot of this is a strength, conditioning, and um, a re- an issue related to the fact that this is also a very young coaching staff, which is yeah. one of those other storylines that we talked about early in the season. Well, they're so concerned about the hamstrings that they actually did tests on the 17s and the 19s, like um, after the, the San Jose, yeah, I believe it was the first couple of days this week, to sort of test everybody out and see you know, if anyone else was having any issues down on those levels. Um, it is interesting that I think that I don't know of any hamstring issues with North Texas, though. You know, and it's the same a lot of ways it's the same people. I mean, it's not, but a lot of, a lot of it is, it's a lot of the same strength and conditioning type people. So, um, they're, they're hundred percent concerned about it and they're hundred percent looking into it and working on it, you know, and, and I don't know enough about strength and conditioning to know whether it's overwork or underwork. Um, I tend to think when you get a bunch of hammies together that it's overwork, but that's just from my collective soccer, um, you know, following and writing over the years. I, I, I don't have any kind of degree to be able to back that up other than my own self instincts. Well, it, it, during the press conference, uh, he was asked about the hamstring thing and he was very quick to point out that, uh, I'm trying to remember how he worded this. Essentially he shot back that they had, had actually, uh, you may be surprised to find out reporters that we started looking into this a month and a half ago when Ja'Cory Hayes, uh, did his hamstring. And, you know, it just seems weird that if they actually started thinking about this six weeks ago, they've had five more hamstrings go out since then. So, uh, they probably need to tend to something pretty quickly around the team before they lose somebody else of, of note. Um, speaking of that, we do know now officially that Paxton Pomacall is out for two weeks. Do you have any sense that we may actually get to see him in a Dallas Jersey before the world cup, or are we not going to see him again until after that event is over? Uh, 
probably not until after. Uh, you know, literally, say it was more precautionary than anything. Um, when I was out at practice, uh, you know, Paxton didn't make an appearance at all. Um, there's the North Texas Lightning, yay. Um, yeah, um, you know, if, if certainly if, if the idea is to play him on the wing uh, for the time being, you know, looking at those uh, positions where you're using the fast twitch fibers more than anything, it's wear and tear. You know, hamstring injuries linger so bad. You kind of you want to be careful more than anything, uh, particularly with a young player whose body's still developing. Speaking of lightning, you know who is scared of lightning? Obviously, is uh, once you hear the story, you'll know it's obviously is Dario Sala. Actually, I, I remember incidents in uh, Dallas where there where there was a lightning near enough the practice field or wherever we were. I can't remember where, and Sala ran for the hills. Uh, but he has a good reason for that because he was actually on a training ground with his club team one time uh, when lightning struck uh, the field and killed one of his teammates, one of his best friends. Whose really? Name is Herman uh, Gavaria, I believe is his name. Yeah, it was it. Um, the lightning hit him in the chest and killed him and it, it knocked down everyone that was on the field Holy and knocked crap. a bunch of them out. And, and the ones, the guys who had gotten to safety uh, when Saul tells the story, he talks about this. Uh, the guy he didn't talk about, he didn't like to talk about it very much, but because his one of his best friends got killed. But um, the guys that were still conscious had to make the decision of: Are we going to go out there and grab our unconscious teammates and drag them into oh. cover? Which they did. So, um, you know, that one his friend was killed by a lightning strike. So Dario was obviously hyper uh, sensitive to that from then on, and. There were multiple occasions where before anyone else could say lightning, let's clear the field, he would be halfway to the to the gym. <laughs> to really? Get you know, yeah. I've never heard that story before. That's I he, can. He does not talk about it very frequently because you, you can imagine it's pretty emotional. But um, you can Google it as if you're interested as a reader, you can Google it, and, and there's a couple stories out there where he has talked about it. Man, I I can't imagine one being on a soccer field when lightning strikes the field, but two seeing the lightning strike your teammate. Yeah, and kill him on the spot. Oh my God! No wonder I'd be running into the building too. Uh, I just, you know what? I just convert to indoor soccer. That's what I'd do. Yeah, he was actually Saul was actually close enough to the impact. Apparently, the field had a lightning pole kind of near the goal, and the lightning hit the pole and then jumped across the field and hit his teammate and killed him. And Salah was sort of near the goal, of course. Um, and uh, oh, and uh, there was another player that died uh, three days later. So it wasn't just the one from the same the, strike or a different. Yeah, a guy who had a series. Another player. I'm looking up the story right now. Matter of fact, to read about it to tell you this, but um, it caused a series of heart attacks apparently in another player, uh, Giovanni Cordoba, who died three days later in the hospital. So it's not something to laugh about. Uh, you should take it quite seriously. There's a reason why all the Texas soccer facilities have those uh, lightning warning signals and flags and all that kind of stuff. And I remember as a kid playing in South Arlington on the complex down off of um, uh, Cooper down there in South Arlington. I remember a kid getting killed down there when I was young in, in junior high school. Uh, so it is a serious topic and we shouldn't make light of it. And if you're ever out on a field and see any, you should get the cover quickly. All right. Now, now Dan, you tell me now. Right. See, Dan, you were out in it today, tonight running around on a soccer field and there was lightning and you weren't scared enough and you should be more scared. I'll be scared in future. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Buzz, I'm glad you weren't killed in South Arlington that many years ago. Yeah, well, th- it wasn't It wasn't an incident where I was actually on the field, but it was, we all heard about it the next week 
when we went out to our game is they were everyone was talking about how a kid had been killed the week before. Mm. All right. Well, uh, lightning strikes aside, first off, can somebody explain to me why Houston has rolled out a fake El Capitan? What's the story behind that? Does either one do either one of you know? Is that the dumbest thing you've ever seen? The first time hearing of it. Yeah, it's dumb. They have a orange um cannon in their stadium that they, you know, they fire off during games and it's painted orange and it's essentially, you know, the cannon they use when they don't have the actual you know, the trophy can Capitan. Yeah. And I saw it on a video highlight and I thought it was, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. And then I saw somebody mention on Twitter or something that they, since they didn't win Capitan, they went out and got one and painted it orange. Can we just note that although we do criticize things that FC Dallas do, they will never do anything that cringeworthy. I might object yeah, to, to you think on that. Uh, we could have an open debate is what's worse, uh, a fake Al Capitan painted orange or having your clowny mascot brand leather DTID into leather uh, on the sideline for as a goal celebration. He's just tattooing his cousins. It's fine. I completely <laughs> forgot they were doing that. Are they still doing that? I think they stopped. Them. I think they stopped at the be- at the end of last season. Uh, who knows? I don't know. Costs. They they do it on paper now. <laughs> they got a rubber stamp. They just. <laughs> My philosophy on almost any of that kind of stuff is it, it has to be organic. You know, you can't you can't force that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, everyone's trying to make the Portland saw of the log, and you know that that thing happened. Or not to make a joke about trees and organic, but. That thing developed over years and made a lot of sense for them and their organization. It's like you can't just say, oh, let's do something like that and fake it. You know, it doesn't do your own thing. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, But getting back to our concerns about temperature and heat and weather and humidity, Dallas now has to go uh, take their questionable fitness levels down to Houston for a Saturday afternoon game. Oof. Uh, That's uh, and, and Houston, by the way. Not looking too bad this season. Well, what I can tell you about Houston is that Albert Ellis is really good. So that's going to be an interesting battle. On the, he, he plays sort of the right uh, wing for them, and that's going to be going right at Hollingshead and Ziegler. Um, and their their striker, uh, Monotis, is pretty good too. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, but Albert Ellis is the one that makes their whole team work. Uh, he's a decisive playmaker and creator and chaos maker, and he plays the way I think Mascara should play. And um, I wish Mascara was playing. And uh, that'll be for me. That'll be the battle that decides the game. Whether they can, whether the combination of whatever holding mid is sliding that way, probably Cerio and and Hollingshead and Ziegler all handling that guy is going to decide the game. I'm glad you mentioned Mascara because once again he came out in the San Jose game and he was uh, essentially ineffectual. Have you had any chance to talk to Lucci about you know his perceptions of what why Mascara after being so red hot in the preseason cooled off like <laughs> dropping a hot iron into a cold water tub? Uh, I've been wanting to and I haven't really gotten into that a lot with him yet. You know sometimes um, Lucci's not quite ready to. Uh, go deep into the negatives on a player uh, with me yet. So we're not quite to the point where he may, he may not want to tell me yet other than saying something like he usually does of, 
uh, that guy's continuing to work hard. He's fighting for a spot, you know, the, the Lucci-isms. So um, what I can tell you from watching him train uh, is that he's a hot and cold kind of guy. He's a bit of a uh, – I'm not going to call him a head case, but he's a tough guy to coach because he's an emotional roller coaster, a little up and down. You know, he's, he's he needs some tender gloves. He needs reassurance, you know, so – uh, once the season started and he got the little knock and then, and then it wasn't going great. And now he's back and he doesn't have his spot back. You know, when he's angry, energetic in training, he looks amazing when he's dejected and disappointed in training, he looks terrible. So it's, you know, that, that one's going to take a little work from Lucci, I think, to get him restored back to his confidence and his game and, and feeling good about himself. And I hope he can do it. Um, that's my take from watching training. I, Lucci hasn't specified that to me by any means. And, you know, on top of the weather concerns and fitness concerns now, uh, you know, largely their biggest offensive engine is gone for an extended period of time. Uh, Dan, you looking forward to that starting 11 on Saturday? Um, it's going to be very defensive. But, I mean, <clears throat> you know, we've seen, what, three straight derby games finish uh, tired. Don't be shocked to see a fourth. Um, you know, um, Houston build their attacks more on defensive mistakes than anything. Um, so definitely look to see FC Dallas roll out that, that double pivot and just yeah. try uh, try to activate Barrios more than anything. Um, similarly, Houston defend very narrowly. Um, so that, you know, that would definitely be the, uh, be the game plan then. But at the same time, they also... You know that that's their out their attacking outlet is is on the wings. So uh, plenty of diagonal play, um, really tight. I think this one will look like the Philly game for Dallas. The sort of sit deep, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Surio, Acosta, Grezzo, three man midfield. Yeah, you can flip a coin of who's going to start on the left wing at this point. Honestly, I, I'd be guessing if I told you I, I who I thought it would be. Um, you know, they're going to sit deep, deep and as Dan says, counter with Barrios over the right side. And maybe that makes you think maybe it'll be Baji on the wing because at least he can counter. Uh, they'll, they'll look to try and activate Holland down the left and Cannon down the right, you know, and then, but mostly they're going to sit and almost look like a Preha sit and counter like we've seen a couple of times on the road now. Yeah, no, I gonna, uh, meant, oh, sorry. Well, it was going to be, uh, that sounds more, I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to roll out the five. Four one five three two that he did in Atlanta. Well, without Bress on, uh, I doubt it because you're not your other your other options as a, a marking back as a stand up center back uh, is Montgomery and he's not. I don't think he's ready for that kind of load. Um, I, I think without Brisson you can't. So that's why I think it'll be the four two three one essentially. It's sit back and counter. Mm, another hamstring. Yeah. On the plus side, he was at least uh, running. Yeah, but I think it's too early to expect him to be back and and, and to put him on um, right away. Like first game back, you're in as a starter in a three man back line that or five man back line, whatever you want to call it. That that's a lot to ask for a guy that's still finding his way in the team. Although you know he looked great for the 60 minutes he was healthy in the other game the other day. So I suppose it's possible, but I, I'd be surprised if um, to see him uh, start this one. All right. Well, this is a perfect segue for the last thing for us to cover on today's episode. Um, which is the somewhat surprise, at least I was somewhat surprised, 
um, uh, news that Dallas, that leaked from Stephen Goff of the Washington Post, I guess it was Tuesday, yeah. that Dallas and D.C. United were enacting a trade for Mar- uh, Marquinhos Pedroso, um, who, you know, I, I guess he's gone at this point, and, and Dallas is getting uh, a first-round draft pick next year. But bizarrely, uh, reports are is that Dallas is going to continue to pay a salary as well uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean the, the deal is not official, but we he did picture of he and his um, dog and uh, girlfriend at the airport. So I imagine he's headed to D.C. Well, uh, Stephen Goff this morning tweeted that he actually arrived in D.C. Uh, mid mid morning today. Yeah, yeah. So no no official transaction yet. They're just trying to work out the details of um, that kind of weird money that they use to buy him. So uh, that technicality, obviously, they're not concerned about or they wouldn't have let him go. You know, they did pull him out of training like when the stories broke, they yanked him out. So uh, as Dan tweeted and was witness to when it happened. So, um, you know, the the two things that are interesting about it is you might say uh, D.C.'s picks likely to be low round draft, low first round draft pick. Well, that doesn't have a whole lot of value. Now, Dallas is a good enough drafting team that you feel confident that whoever they pick there will be a solid piece. But. Um, that's not high value, uh, at, by any means, uh, paying, um, paying part of his salary or paying part of his salary this season leads me to two thoughts. The first is that probably means that he has some guaranteed salary next year. Um, cause why would you throw that in? Because essentially that's the grease that's getting the deal done. That's the thing that Dallas is eating to say, to make it happen. So if that's the grease, then what's the real payoff since the pick's not that great? Well, the two, what that, what the payoff is, is, uh, getting him off your roster, uh, and, and getting an international slot. And we assume at this point, and we don't know until we get more information, um, clearing the, whatever cap hit for next year. So, um, Lucci's talked a lot about doing something this summer. Dan Hunt's been talking about doing something this summer. So I think this is a clear indication that they're clearing the deck in order to bring in something, probably from Byron, but you don't know for sure. Um, and this deal certainly wasn't about Pedroso himself beyond the fact that he doesn't really fit with Lucci's system and Lucci's game. He's a defensive first kind of defender. He's a get to the end line and cross kind of defender. He's not going to cut. He's not going to play nifty little give and goes. He's not going to shoot like Hollingshead. So he definitely had lost out to Hollingshead and he definitely was starting to lose out to Nelson. So why not get something for him, especially when you need the cap room and the uh, international spot. So it's, it's a deal for what's coming next. That's the thing is we got to wait and see what the other shoe is on the other side of the deal. Dan, you were actually out at practice when all of this was going down. Kind of describe what happened uh, as news started to trickle out that he had been traded. Um, so <clears throat> Stephen Goff broke the story. Uh, I read it. Thought, oh, okay, that's, uh, that's you know, maybe that's something to explore. Um 30 seconds later, I look up and there's Pedroso walking out for practice. Uh, so I thought, okay, that's strange. Uh, he takes the warm-up. He takes a couple of passing drills. He's getting really involved, uh, you know, as if he's fully participating. Uh, and then he uh, and then he starts doing some uh, some stretching with uh, one of the assistant trainers. Went inside to get uh, – he, he ran inside – uh, I don't know if it was for an update on the deal or, or what, but uh, came back out, passing the ball around with uh, a couple of the injured players. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm right near him, and he's talking about, you know, I heard him say he got the call on Sunday, 
you know, asking if he'd possibly be interested. And, uh, you know, his take was, well, I'm not really playing at the minute. I kind of do need to, to get some time on the field. And DC have a real left-back problem. Uh, you know, he was very upbeat about it. Um, sat around practice, um, said his goodbyes. Um, what else it was? Hmm. You know, I, I, I hear this whole story, and I and all I can think of is how, if you just take a second to look back, how maddening the Anton Nedyalkov situation turned out to be in retrospect with this situation. And I get that Ned was never a great fit for Oscar, but goodness, Nedyalkov had a set of ball skills that would have been really ideal for what Lucci's wanting out of a left back, and it, it's just disappointing he's no longer with the team. If I had married the girlfriend and been able to get her a green card. <laughs> Isn't it funny how often that stuff comes back to with players off the field issues? You know, it's not always necessarily how you fit in the locker room. Although he was a tough fit in the locker room, culturally he did not match up with his team, which is, a let's face it, it's a very Latin team. It's a very Latin locker room. You know, even the Euros like Ziegler can speak so a couple of the languages that are in the locker room so he can fit in. But Ned Yalkov uh, really struggled with that. You know, the only person he could talk to really was Ziegler. And so he really didn't uh, feel super comfortable and, super, and didn't fit in really well. And then on top of that, uh, as Dan mentions, his girlfriend was unable to get a green card and get into the country. And so for him, that was you know, essentially the last straw, you know, and and we all know that um, – uh, Kellen Acosta left for mostly off-field issues, you know, and and Mara Diaz in a way left for a cash reason, which is in a lot of ways that's an off-field issue. So, um, so often off-field is everything, and and the Nedyakov deal is still paying repercussions because they probably had to overpay for Pedroso to get him in an emergency signing in the middle of last season. You know, had to use this funny money that they're now coming up against a roadblock for trading him, but. Um, it all comes back around, doesn't it? You know, Pedroso, I mean, I, I think, honestly, through the second half of the year, when he got here, he was the one of the best left-backs in the league. He was perfect for Oscar's system, but his, as Buzz said, on the ball, he does, he just doesn't fit Lucci's style. Um, you know. And yeah. then now, because of the discretionary tan that was used, he has to be on the books for a full year. Okay, well, it is the Texas Derby. It kicks off at 3 p.m. on Saturday. It is on, it's on Unimos, is it not? Is that the national broadcast? And Twitter. Hmm? And on Twitter. Oh, Christ. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's an excellent user experience. Uh, yeah, Univision. 90-minute minute videos on Twitter is exactly what I dreamed for in my digital universe. Thank you. Uh, so uh, three o'clock, that should be an interesting game. Uh, see how it all plays out, right? Well, MLS and Twitter like that deal so much, they just extended it. <laughs> they're, they're now going to have every single goal scored every single weekend. Well, I know, thing. because the, the, the young kids love watching stuff on their mobile phones. And, yeah, you know, the mobiles. Like, who, what can, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Just yell at the clouds. That's all I can do. Yeah, get off my lawn. All right, well, uh, we'll see how that goes, and we'll talk about it uh, after the fact, and we'll probably, hopefully, by then get some official word on the Pedroso deal and maybe some updates on Paxton and uh, uh, whatever else uh, may transpire in the next seven days. Uh, Dan Crook, thank you. Um, You know, I'm kind of disappointed now. I was thinking about buying you a Thunder shirt. 
uh, to calm your nerves during these storms, but apparently you're a much more brave English lad than I uh, gave you credit for. Those are for dogs. Uh, well, I'll get you a, a gravity blanket. It's the same concept, just in a blanket format. Ooh, yeah. So it just stops dogs peeing on the bed, in other words. <laughs> or you. <laughs> Either one. <laughs> Whichever one is more appropriate. Sure, absolutely. Buzz, uh, thanks for uh, taking the time, and uh, thanks for all your reporting on the team. You're welcome, and thanks for uh, hosting us on the pod again every week. All right, FC Dallas fans, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week on Third Degree, the podcast. Third Degree.